Section 14 of Emily of New Moon by Lucy M. Montgomery. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Leanne Fortune. Section 14. But Mrs. Kent doesn't like Ilse or me. She never says so, but we feel it. She never asks us to stay to tea, and we've always been so polite to her. I believe she is jealous of us because Teddy likes us. Teddy gave me the sweetest picture of the blewater he had painted on a big white cowhawk shell, but he said I mustn't let his mother know about it, because she would cry. Mrs. Kent is a very mysterious person, very like some people you read of in books. I like mysterious people, but not too close. Her eyes always look hungry, though she has plenty to eat. She never goes anywhere because she has a scar on her face, where she was burned with a lamp exploding. It made my blood run cold, dear father. How thankful I am that Aunt Elizabeth only burns candles. Some of the Murray traditions are very sensible. Mrs. Kent is very religious, what she calls religious. She prays even in the middle of the day. Teddy says that before he was born into this world, he lived in another one, where there were two suns, one red and one blue. The days were red and the nights blue. I don't know where he got the idea, but it sounds attractive to me. And he says the brooks run honey instead of water. But what did you do when you were thirsty, I said. Oh, we were never thirsty there but I think I would like to be thirsty because then cold water tastes so good. I would like to live in the moon. It must be such a nice silvery place. Ilse says Teddy ought to like her best because there is more fun in her than in me, but that is not true. There is just as much fun in me when my conscience doesn't bother me. I guess Ilse wants Teddy to like her best, but she is not a jealous girl. I'm glad to say that Aunt Elizabeth and Aunt Laura both approve of my friendship with Ilse. It is so seldom they approve of the same thing. I am getting used to fighting with Ilse now and don't mind it much. Besides, I can fight pretty well myself when my blood is up. We fight about once a week, but we make up right away, and Ilse says things would be dull if there was never a row. I would like it better without rows, but you can never tell what will make Ilse mad. She never gets mad twice over the same thing. She calls me dreadful names. Yesterday she called me a lousy lizard and a toothless viper. But somehow I didn't mind it much because I knew I wasn't lousy or toothless and she knew it too. I don't call her names because that is unladylike. But I smile, and that makes Ilse far madder than if I scowled and stamped as she does, and that is why I do it. Aunt Laura says I must be careful not to pick up the words Ilse uses, and try to set her a good example, because the poor child has no one to look after her properly. I wish I could use some of her words because they are so striking. She gets them from her father. I think my aunts are too particular. One night, when the Reverend Mr. Dare was here to tea, I used the word bull in my conversation. 
I said Ilse and I were afraid to go through Mr. James Lee's pasture, where the old well was, because he had a cross bull there. After Mr. Dare had gone, Aunt Elizabeth gave me an awful scolding, and told me I was never to use that word again. But she had been talking of tigers at sea, in connection with missionaries, and I can't understand why it is more disgraceful to talk about bulls than tigers. Of course, bulls are ferocious animals, but so are tigers. But Aunt Elizabeth says I am always disgracing them when they have company. When Mrs. Lockwood was here from Shrewsbury last week, they were talking about Mrs. Foster Beck, who is a bride. And I said, Dr. Burnley thought she was devilishly pretty. Aunt Elizabeth said, Emily, in an awful tone. She was pale with wrath. Dr. Burnley said it, I cried. I'm only quoting. And Dr. Burnley did say it the day I stayed to dinner with Ilse. And Dr. Jameson was there from Shrewsbury. I saw Dr. Burnley in one of his rages that afternoon over something Mrs. Sims had done in his office. It was a gruesome sight. His big yellow eyes blazed, and he tore about and kicked over a chair, and threw a mat at the wall, and fired a vase out of the window, and said terrible things. I sat on the sofa, and stared at him like one fascinated. It was so interesting, I was sorry when he cooled down, which he soon did, because he is like Ilse, and never stays mad long. He never gets mad at Ilse, though. Ilse says she wishes he would. It would be better than being taken no notice of. She is as much of an orphan as I am, poor child. Last Sunday she went to church with her old faded blue dress on. There was a tear right in front of it. Aunt Laura wept when she came home, and then spoke to Mrs. Sims about it, because she did not dare speak to Dr. Burnley. Mrs. Sims was cross, and said it was not her place to look after Ilse's clothes. But she said she had got Dr. Burnley to get Ilse a nice, sprigged muslin dress, and Ilse had got egg stain on it. And when Mrs. Sims scolded her for being so careless... Ilse flew into a rage and went upstairs and tore the muslin dress to pieces, and Mrs. Sims said she wasn't going to bother her head again about a child like that, and there was nothing for her to wear but her old blue, but Mrs. Sims didn't know it was torn. So I sneaked Ilse's dress over to New Moon, and Aunt Laura mended it neatly, and hid the tear with a pocket. Ilse said she tore up her muslin dress one of the days she didn't believe in God, and didn't care what she did. Ilse found a mouse in her bed one night, and she just shook it out and jumped in. Oh, how brave! I could never be as brave as that! It is not true that Dr. Burnley never smiles. I have seen him do it, but not often. He just smiles with his lips, but not his eyes, and it makes me feel uncomfortable. Mostly he laughs in a horrid, sarcastic way, like Jolly Jim's uncle. We had barley soup for dinner that day, very watery. Aunt Laura is giving me five cents a week for washing the dishes. I can only spend one cent of it, and the other four have to be put in the toad bank in the sitting room on the mantel. The toad is made of brass, and sits on top of the bank, 
and you put the cents in his mouth, one at a time. He swallows them and they drop into the bank. It's very fascinating. I should not write fascinating again because you told me I must not use the same word too often, but I can't think of any other that describes my feelings so well. The toad bank is Aunt Laura's, but she said I could use it. I just hugged her. Of course, I never hug Aunt Elizabeth. She is too rigid and bony. She does not approve of Aunt Laura paying me for washing dishes. I tremble to think what she would say if she knew Cousin Jimmy gave me a whole dollar on the sly last week. I wish he had not given me so much. It worries me. It is an awful responsibility. It will be so difficult to spend it wisely, also without Aunt Elizabeth finding out about it. I hope I shall never have a million dollars. I am sure it would crush me utterly. I keep my dollar hid on the shelf with my letters, and I put it in an old envelope and wrote on it, Cousin Jimmy Murray gave me this, so that if I died suddenly and Aunt Elizabeth found it, she would know I came by it honestly. Now that the days are getting cool, Aunt Elizabeth makes me wear my thick flannel petticoat. I hate it. It makes me so bunchy. But Aunt Elizabeth says I must wear it, because you died of consumption. I wish clothes could be both graceful and healthy. I read the story of Red Riding Hood today. I think the wolf was the most interesting character in it. Red Riding Hood was a stupid little thing, so easily fooled. I wrote two poems yesterday. One was short and entitled Lines Addressed to a Blue-Eyed Grass Flower Gathered in the Old Orchard. Here it is. Sweet little flower, thy modest face is ever lifted towards the sky, and a reflection of its face is caught within thine own blue eye. The meadow queens are tall and fair, the columbines are lovely too, but the poor talent I possess shall laurel thee, my flower of blue. The other poem was long, and I wrote it on a letter bill. It is called The Monarch of the Forest. The monarch is the big birch in Lofty John's bush. I love that bush so much it hurts. Do you understand that kind of hurting? Ilse likes it too, and we play there most of the time when we are not at the tansy patch. We have three paths in it. We call them the Today Road, the Yesterday Road, and the Tomorrow Road. The Today Road is by the brook, and we call it that because it is lovely now. The Yesterday Road is out in the stumps where Lofty John cut some trees down, and we call it that because it used to be lovely. The Tomorrow Road is just a tiny path in the maple clearing, and we call it that because it is going to be lovely some day when the maples grow bigger. But oh, Father dear, I haven't forgotten the dear old trees down home. I always think of them after I go to bed. But I am happy here. It isn't wrong to be happy, is it, Father? Aunt Elizabeth says I got over being homesick very quick, but I am often homesick inside. I've got acquainted with Lofty John. Ilse is a great friend of his and often goes there to watch him working in his carpenter shop. 
He says he has made enough ladders to get to heaven without the priest, but that is just his joke. He is really a very devout Catholic and goes to the chapel at White Cross every Sunday. I go with Ilse, though perhaps I ought not to when he is an enemy of my family. He is of stately bearing and refined manners, very civil to me, but I don't always like him. When I ask him a serious question, he always winks over my head when he answers. That is insulting. Of course, I never ask any questions on religious subjects, but Ilse does. She likes him, but she says he would burn us all at the stake if he had the power. She asked him right out if he wouldn't, and he winked at me and said, Oh, we wouldn't burn nice, pretty little Protestants like you. We would only burn the old, ugly ones. That was a frivolous reply. Mrs. Lofty John is a nice woman, and not at all proud. She looks just like a little rosy, wrinkled apple. On rainy days, we play at Ilse's. We can slide down the banisters and do what we like. Nobody cares. Only when the doctor is home, we have to be quiet because he can't bear any noise in the house, except what he makes himself. The roof is flat, and we can get out on it through a door in the garret ceiling. It is very exciting to be up on the roof of a house. We had a yelling contest there the other night to see which could yell the loudest. To my surprise, I found I could. You never can tell what you can do till you try. But too many people heard us, and Aunt Elizabeth was very angry. She asked me what made me do such a thing. That is an awkward question, because often I can't tell what makes me do things. Sometimes I do them just to find out what I feel like doing them. And sometimes I do them because I want to have some exciting things to tell my grandchildren. Is it improper to talk about having grandchildren? I have discovered that it is improper to talk about having children. One evening when people were here, Aunt Laura said to me quite kindly, What are you thinking so earnestly about, Emily? And I said, I'm picking names for my children. I mean to have ten. And after the company had gone, Aunt Elizabeth said to Aunt Laura, I silly, I think it will be better in the future, Laura, if you do not ask that child what she is thinking of. If Aunt Laura doesn't, I shall be sorry, because when I have an interesting thought, I like to tell it. School begins again next week. Ilse is going to ask Miss Brownell if I can sit with her. I intend to act as if Rhoda was not there at all. Teddy is going too. Dr. Burnley says he is well enough to go, though his mother doesn't like the idea. Teddy says she never likes to have him go to school, but she is glad that he hates Miss Brownell. Aunt Laura says the right way to end a letter to a dear friend is yours affectionately. So, I am yours very affectionately, Emily Bird Star. P.S. Because you are my very dearest friend still, Father. Ilse says she loves me best of anything in the world, and her red leather boots that Mrs. Sims gave her next. End of section 14, recording by Leanne Fortune.